gentlemen and some of you may have been wondering why I have not been coming out with shows lately especially considering that I have a time machine and I could just go back in time and do it well I'll tell you why I've been too busy to do shows and I have been um, traveling to uh, the future 21st century where I have been working on my new web series um, and I'm not going to release too much about that other than it's uh, title is M4, uh, and that stands for something, I won't tell you what, but it has four M's in it, yes, and that will also be released as a podcast, and I will, of course, say when it is ready, which should be next week, um, and be released once a month, so uh, everyone look out for that, and yes, and now, in the meantime, and now, um, <clears throat> Look at that! The um, the radio is uh, fuzzing. It must be it must be that person that's chasing me. Uh, not heard from her in a while. I guess I should turn it on. Woo! Okay, I'm finally finally got everything working again. I've got my vortex manipulator working again, and I finally found an entrance back into the time vortex. So this means that I can continue on with my mission to become the king of the time pirates. Oh, this will be amazing. I'll be able to get out of this this terrible, terrible wasteland. I can't stand it here. Don't know how to speak to any of the locals if I even find a local. And I'm going to be able to actually be someplace where it's not frozen. There's like nothing but ice here. No, nothing but ice. I am so tired of ice. First thing after I get the time machine, going somewhere without ice. Unless it's in a drink. Because that's nice. But hopefully, hopefully, none of the other time pirates 
have gotten up and caught up on the time machine while I've been out of commission. But I will be there, and I will definitely, definitely. This is this is this one's mine. I'm I'm going to get the time machine. I'm going to find H.G. Wells' time machine, and it is going to be mine. <sighs> Until next time, this is Nell Turner signing off. Oh, and I have not heard any more news on the other topic, but when I do. I will definitely update my log about that. Nelton is signing off, finally. Oh, I see. So there's more than one time pirate after me. No wonder. I have H.G. Wells' time machine, and I am in... I'm going to have trouble. But I have a time machine, so I can just back and fix it. Of course, if it's stolen, then, you know, that's that's a different matter, but, um, um, yes. Yes. Adam, music?
Yes, I've been obsessed with Season of the Witch um, ever since I saw Dark Shadows, which, no matter what the critics say, is um, an amazing movie. <clears throat> so, um, I, it occurred to me the other day, as I jumped from that high airship into a convenient um, kiddie pool position below, that, um, you know, in the movies, it really is much more scary to, uh, it, I mean, you know, in, in reality, it, it's it's a lot more frightening to fall from that height, um, even into water, um, simply because you accelerate as you fall, and um, it's quite exhilarating, really, and there's just, it's a free fall, and um, yes, so I was thinking this, and then it occurred to me that there's that part in the last Golden Compass book where that one um, uh, angel or whatever is um, there's the whole battle at the end uh, next to the hole and then the angel is falls into the hole um, or something and the, and it's like a bottomless hole and he will be falling forever and then it occurred to me that you couldn't really be doing that because well uh, you see as you accelerate as you fall, so you wouldn't just be falling until you um, starved. You would um, first the the um, you would slowly get pulled apart by the force that with you with which you were falling, and your eyeballs would get ripped out of your sockets or something. I don't know. I might have to simulate this somehow. Um, anyway, there's that, and then it occurred to me as well that if you were in some sort of um, I don't know vehicle. Well, actually, you know what? Uh, maybe I was wrong about that acceleration thing because you're accelerating at the same rate, possibly. Maybe. Anyway, and then it occurred to me that well, if you run some, if you if you continue to fall or you drop something into an infinite hole, which still had gravity at the bottom, and it's, and um, eventually the acceleration would reach light speed um, because this solves the problem of, well, you're in a spaceship, and as you reach light speed, um, it just it uses too much fuel, because as the faster you go, the more your mass is, um, and it wouldn't take an infinite amount of fuel to actually power your ship or whatever, and um, by the time you were that heavy, plus everyone inside would be dead. So, there's that, but um, of course, if you had dropped something into an infinite hole, it would continue to accelerate until it reached the speed of light. Uh, and then it occurred to me that the issue with that is that um, it would be 
the mass of the object would become so much that whatever gravity was pulling towards it, or it was pulling it down, could not be infinite weight unless that was also falling. So it's um, quite a paradox, but it's an interesting concept that it could be possible to make something go at the speed of light in certain impossible conditions um, that isn't actually light. Um, I think the only condition in which that could occur is possibly a black hole. You see it also time slows down um, as your mass increases. So it's when you go get sucked into a black hole, um, uh, you start going, or I'm sorry, as you get past through the speed of light. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's complicated. traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone by Marius Constant and Bernard Herrmann. Thank <laughs> you.
song by David Lynch and Alan Splett from Eraserhead. Yes, that's right. That song was from Eraserhead, um, and that was a very strange set, but I liked it because I'm into that stuff. And, um, yes, Eraserhead seems to be, um, at least as bizarre and disturbing as Alice um, Neko Zielinki, uh, the Czech film, which I've talked about before, I'm sure, um, which is a wonderful remake of Alice in Wonderland. Um, yes. So, I think it's time for Ask Captain Proctor. This week's um, etheric telegram is from uh, Captain Jade Sharpweather. Hello there, I'm Captain Jade Sharpweather. And I just started listening to your podcast on the iTunes thing. I really love your show, it's hilarious, and the songs are great. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tankus the Henge, but they could be cool on your show. You and Adam are hilarious. Well, thank you miss very much, Captain Sharpweather. I also have a suspicion about you. You see, recently, on iTunes, I got a new review from Captain J. Sharpweather and five stars. It says, your interactions with Adam and guests are really funny and interesting, and the music is really great. The mix of different types of sounds are great to listen to. And it is my suspicion, Mr. Um, or Captain Sharpweather, that you are somehow um, contacting this person that wrote the review, or are somehow related to them, because your letters seem very similar. Um, or reviews, or whatever. But anyway, um, yeah. Um, yes. And in other news, um, it has recently become legal to lie on the internet. Before it was, um, illegal to lie about your age or name, um, and, uh, 
they sort of overpass that or whatever and because the thing is is that anytime someone lies on the internet bad enough to get caught they're doing something much worse um, and so it, it, it doesn't really matter um, and no one was ever really caught for lying on the internet so in that case uh, it is no longer illegal for me to call myself Captain J. Proctor um, um, on the internet yes of course I was just time traveling to the future when they'd already passed this law anyway so you know it doesn't really matter but well, I think I'm going to call it a day. I'm sorry for the show, short show, ladies and gentlemen, but um, I, I'm afraid that I'm just too swamped with everything else to give you a full session. So uh, I will just end, finish up with some old radio show. Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. And starring tonight, two of radio's foremost actors, Ralph Bell and Robert Dryden, in The Last Survivor. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, and it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as we journey into the unknown in the story I call The Last Survivor. <laughs> In a small six by ten feet radio compartment, a man sits sprawled in the transmission operator's chair. His hair is unkempt, his face bearded. He stares at the panel board before him with vacant, bloodshot eyes. Now and then, as though in a dream, and as if for the thousandth time, he leans forward and picks up a wireless radio phone. Calling base... San Augustine. Come in, base. San Augustine. Over. Calling base, San Augustine. Come in, San Augustine. Over. They don't answer, do they? No, Connors, I'm afraid not. How do you feel? I'm all right. Colonel, why... Why don't you try another channel? I've tried them all. I've been able to make contact. Have you checked the equipment? Yes, to the best of my ability. As far as I can see, it seems to be in working order. Maybe if you were to help me to my feet... I could double-check it for you. No, 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 Connors. Lie where you are. Don't try getting up. Take it easy. But, but I'm a radio man. I know the equipment. Later, Connors, later. Is there anything I can get you? Food, water? No. No, thank you, Colonel. 
It's strange. Just the two of us. Out here. Like this. Yes. What will you do when you're alone, Colonel? Alone? I can't last much longer. Oh, nonsense, Connors. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right, do you hear? Who are you kidding, Colonel? Me? Or yourself? It's a strange way to end up, isn't it? A strange way to end up? Yes. I remember that day so long ago. So very long ago. I feel as if I were looking back on another age. And perhaps I am. What year was it? 1947? Yes. It was a year like so many the world has known. It was a year of war and peace. Of fear and hope. Of feast and famine. And I... I was stationed at the Army Air Base at San Augustine, New Mexico. Chief of the Experimental Rocket Section. It was in the spring of 1947, May 8th to be exact, that I was ordered to report at General Farnsworth's office. Come in. Colonel Worthy reporting, sir. Come in, Dick. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. Orders have just come through for you to report to the chief in Washington. Washington? That's right. Have you any idea what it's about, sir? Yes, I was speaking to the chief just a few minutes ago. Seems they're interested in those spaceship plans you submitted to them. My interplanet rocket ship plans? Yes. The chief and his technical staff seem to think you did an excellent job. It started a certain amount of uh, activity. But, sir, I clearly stated in my accompanying report that a flight into space is impossible at this time. The fuel just doesn't exist that can power an interplanet spaceship. It seems that you're wrong, Dick. Wrong? Yes. According to Professor Murray, atomic power could make your interplanet ship practical. And if anyone should know, it would be Professor Murray. He helped develop the atomic bomb. You mean he's interested? So I understand. The chief's going to ask for an appropriation of $20 million for the development and construction of an atomic-powered spaceship. You and Professor Murray are to work on the project jointly. How soon can you leave? I'll be ready in an hour, sir. There'll be a plane at your disposal. Black. Thank you, sir. Well, I've looked forward for some time now to meeting you, Colonel. Thank you, Professor Murray. Why uh, did you become interested in my plan, sir? As you know, I am one of the scientists who helped develop the atomic bomb. It was a terrible responsibility. And we scientists must answer to a great extent for its use. I'm hoping that through a successful spaceship, mankind will turn to peaceful uses of atomic energy. I understand, sir. I've studied your plans with my new care, 
And the ship you blueprinted is a masterpiece of design. Thank you, Professor. Oh, not at all. You deserve praise for your work. Now, as for the fuel problem, I'm convinced atomic energy is the answer. But, Professor, what about the radiation danger, if it were you? We would have to design and construct an engine that would be a complete unit in itself, and completely sealed off from the rest of the ship. Now, according to my calculations, uh, very rough calculations at the moment, the ship would have to achieve an acceleration of 4H to reach a velocity of 8 miles a second, at which speed it could attain enough momentum to A little over two years later, the completed XIP-1 was wheeled from its hangar at San Augustine, New Mexico. Its towering cylindrical body rose 240 feet into the air, and its silver nose pointing skyward gleamed under the strong sun. The field was cleared of all personnel, and from a concrete observation control tower two miles away, Professor Murray and I prepared to send it on its first test flight. Well, Dick, this is it. The culmination of all our years of work. There's the XIP out there ready for flight. Yes. Well, the next few hours will tell all. Hmm. Field's been cleared, Professor. We're ready to proceed. Then take over, Dick. I'll stand by, keep an eye on the observation radar and control course. Sound flight warning signal. Sound flight warning. Switch on control panel. Switch on control panel. Switch on tower receiver. Switch on tower receiver. Switch on XIP flight radio center. Switch on XIP flight radio center. Cut in nuclear jet number one. Cut in nuclear jet number one. The ship is hovering, Dick. Yes. Cut in nuclear jet number two. Cut in nuclear jet number two. There goes the SIV. She's taking off. Instrument rating. Rate of flight. 500 miles per hour. Altitude, 1,000 feet. Rate of flight, 2,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 90,000 feet. Rate of altitude, 4,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 200 miles per hour. Hour after hour, we traced the flight of the XIP through space. When night came, the ship's flaming tail became visible to the naked eye as it traveled further and further into the infinite. At dawn, after the XIP had flown well over a million miles, electronic light signals were sent out to reverse the ship's course and direct it back toward Earth. Twelve hours later, the XIP landed safely at the San Augustine base. It was that moment. It was the beginning of a new age. The age of interplanet travel. A year passed, and the XIP made test flight after test flight, flying greater and greater distances on automatic radio instrument control. 
And finally, the day came when we were ready. Ready to consider the first human flight into space. Well, Vic, after weeks of discussion with our leading scientists, our objective has been selected. What's to be, Professor? The planet Mars. Oh. Oh, why Mars? Well, for a number of very excellent reasons. Mars is the closest planet to us. Furthermore, it's the planet that we know the most about, little as that may be. Mars, that would be a flight of approximately, uh, 50 million miles one way. Yes. How soon do you think the XIP can be prepared for such a flight? Oh, I should estimate, uh, 30 days. 30 days. All right, Dick. We'll set September 15th as flight day. Ready for flight, sir. The crew are at their station. Thank you. Is there anything, Professor, you uh, want to say before we take off? No, Dick. Everyone's been thoroughly briefed. Well, then the moment's arrived. Stand by for flight orders. Stand by for flight orders. Sound warning signal. Sound warning signal. Fasten safety belts. Fasten safety belts. Switch on flight vision screen. Switch on flight vision screen. Establish contact with base. Establish contact with base. Cut in nuclear jet number one. Cut in nuclear jet number one. Cut in nuclear jet number two. Cut in nuclear jet number two. We're off. Instrument reading. Flight distance covered. 5,000 feet. Time, five seconds. Flight velocity, 600 miles per hour. Flight distance covered, 80,000 feet. Time, nine seconds. Flight velocity, 2,000 miles per hour. Shipwrecked with Captain Proctor is created by London Homer Wambim and produced by Petrifying Productions. Visit them online at www.petrifyingproductions.com. Contact the captain at Captain J. Proctor at gmail.com and follow him in Google Plus and iTunes Bing. Theme music by Kevin McLeod. Sponsored by Fakutor, creating the premiere in steampunk and alternative history fashions. Visit their website, www.fogcultor.com. Mm-hmm.